Woe is me. Book One of the Horror Wars. Chapter 19 The Warehouse and the Walmart. Young lady. A long time passed, and then the voice rasped again. Young lady, I know you can hear me. Maybe so, but hearing didn't mean much anyway. She laid too weakly on the surface of this world, like a moth whose wings were stuck in a puddle fluttering to be free. She couldn't direct any of her feeble grasp toward those words in the ominous presence behind them. The bombs had transported her to the inside of the sun for one brief roaring moment. They had picked her up and wound in her shield, the shockwaves battering her from three different angles all at once, sending her skittering into the air with tremendous force and destroying her body and knocking her senseless. But intact. Intact. And that's all a troll needed. They had hauled her remains out of the smoking crater, she imagined, for she had no memory of anything else until this moment and this dreadful remembered voice. Young lady, you thought you had gotten me, didn't you? Then Lacey couldn't help but remember, and her breath stuttered, her eyes winced. Dr. Vivian laughed remorselessly. You and your little friends nearly killed me, but I survived. Oh, yes, I survived. You think we didn't have protocols for such events? We knew what you're capable of, maybe even more so than yourself. It was a waiting game. We held your monsters off on the roof all day until we could be evacuated by Chopper. You shouldn't have sent them after us while you made your escape. You should have known they'd fail. They never got us. Not all of us, anyway. The building didn't entirely burn. At least not until we were gone. A shaking hand thrust beneath her neck and shook her with a snap. But look what you did to my hair. You green-blood little insect! Look! For that I can never forgive you! She snapped Lacey's head forward again until the girl unwillingly opened her eyes. The old woman leaned back into the cones of yellow light to show how one whole side of her face had burned. Half the hair on her head had scalded away, and her scalp was crusted with scabs. She looked down at Lacey with lip-trembling hatred. Many people want you dead, troll girl! myself among them, but you have certain gifts that we can use, and so that is what will happen to you. You will be put to use. Perhaps you can begin to account for your crimes. Dr. Vivian pulled her roughly forward, and the newly stitched fibers of Lacey's body clicked gruesomely into place at shoulder and hip. She shuddered and opened her eyes. Oh, there's hardly any girl left in there at all, Dr. Vivian muttered to herself with fascination. No, I... I'm a girl, Lacey husked. Really? Dr. Vivian took a picture of her with her phone and showed the screen to Lacey. Lacey moaned. Both of her eyes glittered black, bulbous now. Her hair was gone and her scalp was smooth. Her skin was pale, much more pale than it had ever been. Her skeleton was more square, her limbs longer, joints knobbed. Lacey's head rocked back from the sight of herself. She couldn't bear it. A voice spoke from the door into the echoing concrete chamber. They're here. From the wall behind Lacey, an electric motor hummed, and a wide steel cargo door rolled up with a clatter. 
The room filled with loud, echoing engine noise and the bright wash of headlights as a transport rolled in behind her. Lacey looked around. In the brighter light, she saw that this was a larger room than she had first thought. This was like a big warehouse with loading docks and lines of yellow paint across the concrete floor and stacks of pallets against the distant wall. The transport parked at a diagonal, its cutaway rear bed facing Lacey. The passenger door opened and a Nashgard soldier in black fatigue stepped out with a clipboard. You, Dr. Vivian, he asked in a flat drawl, like a bored cowboy. His seamed face held no warmth. Yes, Major Giddens, he nodded and held out the clipboard. Paperwork for you, ma'am. Yes, I'm sure we have some for you also. There's a bureau agent here. I'm sure she's about to... Ah, there she is. A woman in a black suit entered from an office door, talking on her phone. Lacey squinted at the agent, the blunt lines of her nose and jaw stirring memories within her. Oh, yes, that was Agent Roke, the one who had brought Mac back to her, the one who had shot her in the back. Dr. Vivian turned away from the soldier with a scowl and picked up a chain coiled at Lacey's feet. Get up, she snapped, her voice for once totally flat. Lacey looked mournfully up at her. Dr. Vivian shortened the grasp and yanked the chain. Metal rang with a horrifying sensation against the bones at the base of her neck. Lacey gasped. Her hand flew over her shoulder to where metal joined her flesh. The chain had been bolted into her bones, into her sixth vertebra. So this was how they were going to tame her. Her mouth fell open in shock, her mind still too shattered for anything more complex than revulsion and outrage. Dr. Vivian yanked on her again and Lacey fell to her side, quivering on the concrete. Time's a factor. We can give you a hand with that, doctor, Major Giddens said. Corporal, he called out. Lacey heard the driver's door open and close. Sir, a heavy voice asked. Get that thing up in its cage. Yes, sir. Cage, the word resounded through Lacey's head, making her struggle upright. She saw the silhouette of a large man and the white transport behind him, a steel cage standing braced on the flatbed, weapons bristling from each corner. The chain jangled as he grasped it. He hauled her up by the back of her neck, the bones and tendons of her spine screaming in pain. She gasped and swung at him. Calm down, doll, he said in a heavy, amused voice. Let's not get in trouble. Right now, corporal, the major said. Yes, sir. Ain't got time to play games tonight, doll. He threw her wide onto the concrete floor where she landed in a heap. She struggled to raise herself, pressing her shaking hands against the floor. She looked up to see the corporal pointing his pistol at a point between her eyes. Easier this way, I guess. He pulled the trigger, and the world flared white, with a gust of smoke and a black slug hurtling through it right at her. She awoke with a moan, curled on the drain at the center of the cage. Her mind was blank. Wind howled through her chest. She pressed a curled hand against her sternum to make sure that her flesh still covered her bones. A deep chill penetrated her, locking her muscles, her breaths shallow, panting puffs of air. Her mind was painfully blank. She chased thoughts that simply weren't there, like a child who has fallen while ice skating. All that remained was her face against the frozen floor, pressing down into white blankness. She didn't know who she was, or where she was, or what she was doing here. Her eyes unstuck. She saw pools of white light on a black surface. The lights trembled like trees in a storm, a solemn forest of light. Drool trickled down her chin. 
An animal impulse from deep inside urged her to hoard her fluids. Her tongue snaked out and roughly scraped against the point of her chin, dragging the drool into her mouth. Her scalp prickled and she looked up. A soldier sat half-visible above her, black helmet gleaming in the dark, a look of utter disgust for her on his florid face. He turned away with a muttered curse. His seat assembly clacked and gears grinded as his seat swiveled, the twin barrels of a machine gun tracking across the night. Water. Her voice was an oily hiss. She fell silent, abashed, still unable to place herself or any of these details into a recognizable scene, but knowing this wasn't her voice. She reached up to him and discovered the cuffs on her wrists and the chains dangling from them. She dropped her hand, shame trembling through her. Winds buffeted down from lowering clouds, bringing gusts of rain. She opened her mouth to the drops, getting so few her thirst remained unslaked. We're getting contact, another soldier said from nearby, his voice muffled. Most we've seen. They're still here. Stay sharp, Corporal. Corporal, the word hissed through her like a remembered nightmare. A smile split the corporal's beefy red face. Good, let's clean up this parking lot, sir, so we can go home and get some shut-eye. They're in the Walmart. The corporal cursed again. Roger that. Buttoning up. He ducked low and his seat assembly ratcheted down out of view. A metal lid swung into place over his head. Walmart? Her body didn't obey her commands. She tried looking at the white edifice of the building over her shoulder, but her head wobbled weakly on her neck. She leaned a temple against the cold steel bar of the cage and steadied her vision. She knew this Walmart. She knew its parking lot as well as any spot in town. There was the highway, and there was the In-N-Out Burger near the road. But now its windows were shattered and the walls scorched. Plumes of black smoke rose into the night, lit by the flickering parking lot lights. Cars burned. Screams echoed in the distance. The giant parking lot was empty of life. Only this white transport remained, waiting between pools of light in its own smoky darkness. Fluid trickled from the corners of the vehicle and dripped onto the asphalt. She groaned. It was like her own parched body was losing these liquids and the sensation of withering even further jangled her nerves. The rain intensified, soaking her. She lifted the hem of her torn hospital gown and sucked on it. A solitary tink of metal on metal made her swivel her head. A goblin stood outside the cage, its little eyes gleaming in the lights. Alone in the dark and uncharacteristically quiet, it dropped its little crooked spear and reached for her leg. She spasmed and jerked away, but it was too fast. Its claws pierced the flesh for calf, dragging her foot toward its needle fangs. It bit. The pain was warmth when all else was cold. A ragged groan escaped her cracked lips. She fell back, but the goblin didn't let go. It took a larger bite, tearing at her flesh, trying to pull off a piece of her foot it could swallow. She feebly kicked at it with her other foot. Finally, she connected, smashing its grasping claw with her heel. It fell back with a harsh, gabbling curse and seized its spear. She pulled herself away from the little monster, curling against the far bars of the cage, but it circled around and speared her like a fish, the blade vanishing between her ribs. She groaned louder and rolled away from its attack, onto the drain in the center curled around the damage in her body. It couldn't reach her here. Now she heard more screams coming from within the Walmart. Metal crashed and glass shattered. Trolls tumbled from the entrance, shards spinning away into the darkness. First two of them, then others following in a teeming scrum, red blood marking the chins of those who had been lucky enough to eat. She beheld them but didn't fear them. 
They felt like kin to her. She reached forward, beckoning to them. She wanted some of that bright blood on her own chin. The trolls swung toward the transport and onto the flatbed platform of her cage. The goblin was kicked away. Only trolls surrounded her now, moaning, their ragged mouth holes working, glittering eyes staring unblinkingly at her, their heavy black claws scraping against metal and stretching through the bars from every angle. She remained barely out of reach. The transport's engine coughed to life. The vehicle thrummed. Trolls crawled across the top of the cage, reaching down, blocking out the light. The steel floor of the cage grew sticky with green blood, her green blood. Now fear trickled into her. She anticipated the bars giving way under that press. She knew they'd tear her into bite-sized pieces until all that remained would be a bloody vertebra bone attached to a chain. A small voice spoke for the first time within her and wondered if this had already happened. How many times have I been eaten? How many times have I regrown? The capacitors came online with a hum and a clunk, and they discharged their voltage into the steel bars. With an unbearable clap of violence, the trolls flew off the flatbed in every direction, leaving nothing but their abruptly interrupted howls and a haze of acrid smoke. They landed in flames, shuddering corpses on the ground that quickly turned to black tar. Huh? Safe again? In the gaps of night that remained, shimmering green balls of tumbling limbs crawled onto the flatbed and wormed through the bars in their stead. Phantoms. The cage hadn't been designed for phantoms. They were small enough to squeeze through the gaps. One reached for her and flared its limbs outward, exposing its underbelly. For the first time, she saw its black beak in the center of the squirming limbs and the spider eyes ringing it. She croaked urgently, trying to get the attention of the soldier at the controls. Perhaps he heard her because the capacitors discharged again and the phantoms vibrated, wedged in place between the bars. They smoked briefly, then exploded, bursting into flame and falling away. Their death squeals cleaved her, reminding her that the monsters spoke inside her mind, giving her a clue to herself, a weapon against the blankness that filled her. And now she heard them inside the Walmart like a congregation, a horde of goblins yammering and gasping with pleasure while they feasted. Trolls purred as they ate, and ogres moaned. But there were other presences in the building that she didn't recognize— complex minds that mixed a measure of intelligence into their hunger. A memory wavered through her of the same conniving presences outside the truck trailer of the mystery man. But in the crush of bodies and blood, she never saw them. They remained monsters she didn't know. A sudden downpour soaked her thin hospital gown. She cupped her hands and let them fill with water, drinking greedily. The pool of green blood at her feet diluted and washed away. The troll's busy strength rebuilt her from the inside out once more. The water ran in a river down her back. She stood. A human scream emerged from the Walmart, a man's tortured howl. The wheels of the transport crunched on the broken glass, rolling forward toward the store. The soldiers were here to save the people inside. They didn't know that these new, clever monsters had set a trap. She gripped the bars with her hands and grinned like a wolf. This is going to be good. The corporal emerged again on the cab's roof and shot away the remnants of the glass atrium at the front of the store. Major Giddens drove the white transport, steaming and streaked with gore, inside. The cavernous store looked like it had been hit by a hurricane. Lights flickered in the high ceiling. Aisles had toppled against each other. Mountains of merchandise lay heaped with the twisted wreckage of their displays. 
In the distance, a troop of fat, slouched goblins hurried across the far wall, weapons held low. These were the new ones she had heard in her mind, the ones who could think and strategize. The machine gun chugged, the corporal stitching a line of bullets against the wall. Their barrel bodies toppled and flew back, stick arms spinning, green blood against white paint. A pair of ogres bellowed at them, crashing through the aisles of the lawn and garden department. One lifted a table saw and hurled it with terrible force at the transport, the block of metal clearing a path and smashing against the passenger side of the transport's cab, caving in its front tire. The flatbed tilted down in that direction. The machine gun fired wide of the ogres, the tilted transport spoiling the corporal's aim. Then a steady stream of goblins emerged from the wreckage of the aisles, waving their spears, assaulting the metal vehicle. In the rear, the bigger goblins directed the assault with frog-like belches and waving weapons. Goblins and trolls surrounded the transport. The corporal pulled himself down below the hatch again, and the goblins covered her cage so thickly they blotted out the light. Foom! The capacitors discharged, and the goblins erupted in white smoke and flame, flying backward and clearing the bars. But another wave of goblins immediately climbed the flatbed and took their places. Boom! And boom! Again. Three full ranks of goblins turned to vaporized ash. The transport tried to retreat on its ruined wheel, the front axle squealing metal on metal. A haze of smoke filled the Walmart as the tires crunched over glass and metal and plastic through the hole they'd shot through the front of the building. Bang! They crashed against a pile of steel shelves that had been dragged across the entrance by the clever goblins to seal them inside. Now they were trapped in here. She laughed, half despair and half delight that others would get to share her misery. Then the human screams began again from the high windows in the back wall. The big goblins shattered the glass to display their hostages in the office up there. An old fat man in a blood-stained dress shirt, his torso spitted on one of the spear axes, writhing in agony. A dark-haired woman was dragged into view by another of the toadish goblins, its blunt teeth twisted in a cruel grimace as it displayed its prize to the soldiers in the transport below. The corporal emerged yet again and fired at the windows, killing both the goblins and the humans in a hail of bullets, ending all their suffering. It warmed her cold black heart to see such wicked destruction. She crooned in pleasure, kneeling on the cage floor, her hands splayed out as if ready to spring. A calmness spread into her blank mind, the few clues of her identity whirling slowly about, coalescing. She grew very close to remembering who she was. A goblin tottered, its arms held wide. Then she remembered the mystery man running up to the road in the same manner. She remembered Captain Monroe. She remembered the bombs falling on her and the corporal shooting her in the head. She remembered doing this so many times already this night. She knew who she was. She knew what she was. Pete. The monsters advanced from every quarter, their strategy broken, overwhelming the transport with sheer numbers. The machine gun roared, streaks of tracers disappearing into the horde, mowing them down. Trolls fell, then stood again, their torn torsos healing as they advanced. Ogres, smoking from the tracers and enraged by the bullets, charged in, trampling the goblins. The transport rocked, hit by a wave of them. The corporal tried to pull himself downward, but a thrown beam of jagged steel lanced his shoulder, creating a crossbar he couldn't pull through the hatch. He was doomed. This is what you get for shooting me in the head. I will laugh as you are torn to pieces. A rifle barked from within the cab, the remaining soldier trying to fend off the goblins pouring in. She laughed and laughed again, the blows of ogres and trolls hammering at her cage, bending the bars. Oh, yes, 
I know who I am again. Come to me, my pretties. Let us dance together at the end of the world. She stood tall as they reached for her. Darkness bloomed from her hands. Lacey clapped and the air ignited with its force. The bars of the cage blew outward. She held up her hands and the chains fell, riven from her wrists. An ogre reached for her and she punched it square in the face, her unhuman voice shrieking. Her fist disappeared inside the ogre's skull and the monster stiffened, dead before it fell back. The horde surged forward and she leveled them all with a sweeping line of darkness. She stamped her feet and the flatbed crumpled, the chains on her ankles cracking into powder. The monsters fell away from the blast, clearing the area. She stepped from the cage, face lowered, her mouth dripping with anticipatory drool. But the chain bolted to her spine, tugged at her, reminding her of the bondage. She screamed, thrashing, a whirling ball of darkness spinning about her like a miniature tempest. The chain snapped, and the heavy links dropped against her back. But it wasn't enough. Nothing will ever be enough, ever again. She thrust her splayed-out hands against the metal of the flatbed and spoke a pair of words, the pieces of the transport shivering in response to her commands. The transport detonated, each piece of it flying outward, killing the soldier in the cab. Oh, yes, Major Giddens had been his name, killing the goblins and all the others straining to reach her. The Walmart caught fire, filling with black smoke, surrounding her with stinking flames. Now they came at her from all corners, the phantoms and big goblins and even a pair of witches who had somehow survived the rains. They rose from the shadows as if birthed by darkness. Lacey snarled in bloodthirsty anticipation. She lifted a hand and a tiny sound shivered her bones. She jolted and then froze, her hand still upraised. A pause rippled through the building. Every monster fell silent. She listened for the tiny sound to repeat. There. What was that? She glanced along the burning floor to see goblins sniffing the air with their arms hanging down, spear tips against the ground, their eyes far away. Trolls crooked their heads, Ogres whimpered, shaking their bristly hides. A third time she heard it. It was so far away. The whale. The whale had returned. And every monster can hear it. The witches began to croon at the air, their brittle fingers shivering against the flames. The whale repeated four, then five, then six times each louder than the last. The big goblins turned trying to locate it, pointing along the horizon line with their big axes. It came from behind them, to the northeast, and they called raggedly to the others, their croaks rising over the crackling of the flames. The monsters obeyed the commands without protest, hurrying quickly away out the side entrance, their gabble rising to an excited clamor. The wail of despair acted on them like a siren song. She was alone. The wail hit her again, and meaning dropped from the world. She lost all care for literally everything. Her heart filled with ashes. She couldn't even find the impulse to raise her hands to her face so she could bury it in them. She only shuddered, sensing in the echoing violence the titanic stature of the howling monster. If she got much closer, it would shatter her like glass. This was a voice that could crack mountains. In the silence, she stumbled to her feet and fled from the wreckage of the transport in her tattered rags and threw the flames toward the entrance. With an urgent, witchy sweep of her hand, the wreckage that had been dragged across the opening to seal them in flew away, and the night beyond yawned wide. 
Lacey hurried to it, wanting nothing but to get lost in that empty darkness. The ceiling crashed behind her as she emerged, heralding her arrival with a billow of smoke and a shower of sparks. But instead of darkness, she was caught in a beam of white light from a police squad car. The wail rocked through her again and she fell sideways, her strings cut, shivering in the pelting rain. It cored her out, its grief carrying all of her emotion away, stripping her insides clean. Empty. She would certainly never feel anything, ever again. A smaller light wavered as it approached, attached to the end of a rifle. Down! Stay down! The cop yelled at her. He put a boot in her back and pressed her down against the wet asphalt. But she didn't care. She was still lost in the avalanche of the groan at the end of the wail, rolling among its boulders. When it ended, she tried to rise, but he stood on her to keep her down, the lugs of his boot digging into her spine. The witch within her bucked with outrage, and Lacey gathered herself to spring up and tear his leg off. Instead... Face down and eyes to the side, gazing at the blank wall of the burning building, a splotch of black paint caught her eye, a graffiti silhouette of Milo Twist, the man who had learned to live with the monster inside him. Shame lanced her fury, and Lacey groaned, the humanity still inside her straining against the encasing fibers of her new monstrous body. Horror washed through her, a rejection of herself, of the monsters, of the whole stinking world that had forced her to become this abomination. Unbearable revulsion shook her limbs, and she picked the cop up by the head with a tendril of darkness, flinging him away with a shout of grief. She crouched like a black panther on the asphalt, her breath coming in ragged gasps. I am lazy. I am a girl. A human girl. I am... I am the best runner in the world. She leapt forward as guns fired and raced away into the night, her legs enchanted by witchery, a blur of darkness in the storm. Chapter 20 Mount Lassen Not dead. Then echoing through a dark miasma much later. But why? Disbelief, a resumption of terror, seasick, head-bouncing, and suffocation, pain in a dozen places, a wet forest smell, rain against his skin. Against my skin, my face, I am alive. Mac opened his eyes. For the longest time he couldn't make any sense of his surroundings. He only watched shifting shadows and points of swinging starlight, obscured by brief washes of rain against his cheek and forehead. The air was thin and cold. He tried to wipe the water out of his eyes and found that his hands were bound together. He smeared half his face against his sodden shoulder instead. He squinted at his hands. A black pole ran below his tied wrists. He realized his knees were similarly bound. He was trussed and carried upside down like a dead deer after a hunt. But who were the hunters? Matt craned his neck and looked upside down at the mottled toed chin of a hobgoblin, carrying the shaft of its poleaxe with the boy hanging from it. It leered down at him, its purple tongue rolling across its cracked teeth, and taunted him in its croaking language, a devilish laugh coloring its words. Others snorted and added their own curses. The squad of nine hobgoblins stopped, and the pole swung clumsily to the side, swinging Mac perpendicular to the trail so they could show him where they headed. 
Another hobgoblin stepped into his view and croaked at him, squinting its bulbous eyes ferociously and pricking him under the chin with the point of its poleaxe. Mac lifted his head to where the hobgoblin directed it. A mountain peak loomed over them flanked by tresses of white, its entire front face little more than a massive landslide that had cleaved its slopes millennia ago, its broken top lit by erratically strobing purple light, a tremendous column of black clouds whirling above. Lightning crackled through the clouds. Thunder boomed like a war of cannons in the sky. The hobgoblins all cried out and stepped back as if something invisible washed through them all at once. They fell into a stunned silence. It took them long seconds to recover. Then they did so with a chorus of snarls and swung him roughly back into position with nothing to see except the storm above through the silhouettes of trees. I know that mountain. Miss Vickers had a poster of it in her homeroom. She talked about it all the time. It was Mount Lassen. Miss Vickers said it was over 10,000 feet tall. She said it was one of the youngest mountains in the world and that it had risen up in the last 30,000 years as a remnant of another mountain that had been there before. That one had been called Mount Tehama, and it had been one of the most powerful volcanoes on the planet. Mount Lassen was itself a volcano, Miss Vickers said. It had erupted just a hundred years before. Mac realized that they weren't climbing toward a column of black maelstrom clouds on the peak. That was ash. The hobgoblins carried him up the erupting Mount Lassen volcano. They crossed a talus slope of broken volcanic rock, the trees sparse here, and climbed the flank of the volcano through the black spattering drops, crossing out of the storm and into the gloom of the low black clouds. The air at this altitude barely filled his lungs. He realized how hard he had to work to breathe. Nausea rose in him and the evil hum filled his ears. Lightning lanced down all around them and gusts of darkness raced across the shattered cirque above. On its far side, the high, ragged edge of the peak held a growing number of hobgoblins, a dark, seething mass scrambling toward the very top. There, in the distance, a pyre burned the immolating shadow of a man tied to a stake briefly visible in the flames. The fire from his sacrifice intensified the dark column above, summoning heavier clouds and deadlier lightning, scaling up from the indigo toward pure white. Another invisible surge washed through the hobgoblins and the horde on the distant peak swayed like meadow grass in a gust of wind. The hobgoblins carrying him stumbled and fell to their knees. The one at his head dropped the poleaxe and Max slid toward the weapon's top, his head hitting rocks. As they began to stir, he heard another sound in the distance. So faintly at first he thought he imagined it. But no, it was real. The barking of a dog. Bunny! The dog had followed them the entire way here. Why hadn't she run away when she could? Now she was about to be killed by the hobgoblins. Bunny, no, he croaked, his unused voice raw. But his feeble voice was lost in the storm. Mac heard her advance, her raucous barking drawing nearer. He heard the scrape of her claws on the rocks. He heaved himself over and saw her scrambling up the slope after them, eyes wide and tongue hanging out. She looked exhausted. The hobgoblins roused, shaking off their stupor. They pointed at the dog downslope, about sixty feet away now, and scrambling slowly up the jagged rocks. They laughed, and two of them threatened Bunny, 
then lifted their pole axes and picked their way down the mountainside to deal with her. No! Max screamed in a weak rasp, watching the two monsters close in. But Bunny veered at the last moment, pulling wide and barking ferociously at them, hackles raised and eyes wild. Her fangs flashed in the gloom. The hobgoblins weren't impressed. One lunged at her and Bunny danced back. The other charged and she raced away, the two hobgoblins in close pursuit. The others muttered sourly and turned back to their original task. Max swung into the air as they shouldered the pole again and began loping down the trail. And that was the moment Robin struck. She flew like a ninja out of the night, leaping down from above with her foot outstretched. She landed her kick in the jaw of a hobgoblin walking beside Mac, making it grunt. The strike would have killed a lesser goblin, but the toadish hobgoblin hardly seemed damaged. Robin bounced away, landing lightly on her feet beside another. She snaked her hands between its skinny arms and twisted her whole body, its arms cracking off at the elbows and its poleaxe dropping into her hands. With a calm and graceful sweep, she chopped its legs off and spitted the hobgoblin she had kicked, the blade disappearing into its neck in the precise place her foot had been, dropping it like a fatted cow. She let go of the poleaxe and bounded up the slope off the trail onto the rocks. The remaining hobgoblins squalled at her and three of them pursued, but she had chosen a spot where the rocks vanished in a scree of sand and mud. The hobgoblins floundered in the spill, unable to reach her above. The only hobgoblins left on the trail were the two who held Mac. He squirmed on the pole trying to do something, anything, to free himself, and the one at his head kicked him, a painful blow against his shoulder. Bunny raced in from out of the darkness, the two who pursued her nowhere in sight. She leapt up and tore at the back of the hobgoblin holding Mac's feet. It bellowed and reached for her, dropping the poleaxe. Mac's knees slid off the end of the pole. He squirmed and pulled his hands down past the pole's end as well, freeing himself of it. He was still bound, but no longer on the pole. The two hobgoblins who had held him were now busy trying to grab the lunging dog. Robin shouted above. Mac looked up the slope to see her duck under a hobgoblin's swing and throw herself onto the mud chute, slipping past them and sliding back down onto the trail, landing against the hobgoblin standing beside Mac's head and stopping herself with another kick against the side of its knee, collapsing it to the ground. Robin picked up the poleaxe that had carried Mac and brought the edge down on the hobgoblin's throat. Then she pulled it free and drove its point into the back of the one threatening bunny. She turned with almost bored fluidity as the three hobgoblins tumbled down from the slope above. The two that had chased Bunny finally emerged from the shadows down slope and clambered grimly up the rocks to them. Mac and Bunny huddled close to Robin, surrounded by the five monsters. Robin laughed. She looked down at Mac and smiled at him. Oh, don't get your panties in a bunch. Watch this. She lurched toward one, swinging the poleaxe like a baseball bat, then slipped in the mud as it swung its own weapon at her, dropping under its whistling blade. She spun as she slid, using the momentum of her fall, and buried her axe blade in the hobgoblin's belly. Then she slipped sideways as another hobgoblin brought its blade down in an overhand chop. She fell forward and reached for its pole, swinging herself around and kicking out the legs of the hobgoblin beside it. Then she was behind them, somehow magically holding the poleaxe she had grabbed, and with two neat chops, she sliced deeply into the necks of two hobgoblins, killing them. Two remained, one wounded. Bunny tugged at that one's arm, keeping it from swinging its weapon. 
With a grunt, the dog pulled the arm from its body and it squealed, green blood gouting across the trail. It tried to hack at Bunny, narrowly missing the dog, its blade striking sparks on the rocks. Bunny backed off and barked ferociously. Robin squared off with the other hobgoblin. It snarled at her and dropped its poleaxe in a practiced pose. Robin mimicked it, a half-smile on her pixie face. Then the hobgoblins stiffened. Max saw that the whole horde of them on the peak dropped to their knees again, that invisible wave running through them. Bunny also whimpered and hunkered against the ground. The two hobgoblins on the trail only maintained their balance with the greatest of efforts, but their eyes glazed over and their faces sagged. Robin took that opportunity to neatly slit their throats. As the green blood spattered across him, Robin knelt at his side. Got them for you, she hissed proudly, like it was a promise she had made. Mac lay gasping in the black spattering drops of the maelstrom, unable to comprehend what he'd just seen, his mouth filled with bitter liquid. He spat it out. Bunny licked his face. Robin sawed his bonds loose with a poleaxe. Thank you, he husked, his face crumpling as he started to cry. Ah, let's not get sappy on each other here and ruin a perfectly good apocalypse, she remonstrated. Next thing I know, you'll try to kiss me. That stopped his tears. He looked at her soberly, wondering how she could be so deadly and so beautiful, so damaged and yet so perfect. What? What happened? Where is everybody? He managed. She pointed sourly at the peak above. Well, that was Ed. What was left of him? I just hope he was dead before he started to burn. They got a whole bunch of other hostages up there, too, but none are ours as far as I can tell. Come on, let's get out of here before more hobgoblins show up. Ed. More? Mac began to cry again, visions of the old man's weathered face flickering through his head. There's more? Every monster in Northern California is up here by the looks of it, but if we just get off trail, we'll be fine. Can you walk? He pressed himself to his feet and stood unsteadily, his knees screaming with pain. But he swallowed it and smiled bravely at her as he took a few shuffling steps. After what he had just witnessed her accomplish, it was the least he could do. It's dead, he repeated. She nodded, her face turning grim. Shame, too. I like the old critter. Always treated me nice, not even as a lady like most of them old perverts, just as a friend. You know what I'm saying? Well, R.I.P. You didn't go quiet, you old buzzard. Now come on, let's go before they catch us again and we join him. She pulled Mac straight down the talus slope, the broken rocks skidding beneath their feet. He immediately grew lightheaded from doing such hard work in the thin air. He held onto the scruff of Bunny's neck, the dog leaning patiently into him. So I was out in the woods. I'd made it almost all the way to the catch's mitt, Robin told him in her rasping, uncaring way. Then I heard the dynamite going off. Boom, 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 boom. The whole ranch just going straight to hell. I turned and ran back, but I couldn't see nothing but smoke and fire in the woods. Then I saw a bunny. And then we both saw you getting hustled off by them hobgoblins. I was going to let you go, but she wouldn't let me. We followed y'all all night, and then all day, and all night again. But we never had a good moment to rescue you, so we just took the last one we could. I tried to blow the dynamite, but they caught me first, Max said. Well, somebody got to it. I have no idea who, 
I don't know nothing except I don't got a bedroom anymore, or a kitchen or a house or anything else, I guess. Good thing the world's ending, huh? Saves us the trouble of starting all over again. But what about Wyatt, Randy and Seth, Ruby and the kids and the dogs and... I mean, they can't all be dead. Robin shrugged. We all die someday, some with a bang, not a whimper. Mac quailed as grief overcame him. His eyes stung. He couldn't believe they were all gone. It was like he and Robin were the only humans left in the whole world. They cleared the edges of the maelstrom and descended the mountainside, the tree line, a black fence running athwart the slope below. Nausea eased and sadness lodged in Mac's throat instead. He reluctantly considered what he could never before allow himself to contemplate. Losing the horror wars. If the monsters just keep coming, if we never figure it out, if they hunt us all down and scour every speck of life from this planet, if... Mac's heart felt like a wind cave. He wished time would just stop before it brought more unbearable tragedies to life. He stumbled trying to keep up with the unshakable girl, hating himself for not being made for the horror wars as she was. A dead planet is all I get. It's where I belong. I don't deserve anything more. But as they ducked under the trees, the planet showed that it wasn't dead yet. The living world sent its response. Choppers beat the air, emerging over the far ridges with their guns blazing. Tracers dropped across the trees like glowing filaments of spider silk, chasing down the monsters that marched toward Mount Lassen. Another rank of choppers appeared behind them, then another, coming in regular waves. The night sky filled with their rattling engines and barking guns, Robin pulled Mac down into shadow as the choppers raced across the valleys and rose up the flanks of the volcano, arrowing toward the peak. On the slope, Mac watched hordes of goblins and trolls marching blindly upward as the choppers flew runs overhead, the machine guns carving long rows out of the riotous mass. They returned again and again, a horrific, one-sided slaughter, the monsters not even looking up to see what killed them. Then the survivors flattened again as that invisible wave moved through them, huddling against the ground. Bunny curled into a ball and whimpered. The choppers hovered in the air and poured concentrated fire down onto the unmoving monsters, shooting them into pieces. Once the flanks of the mountain were clear, the choppers rose in an awkward formation up toward the peak a hundred strong. Their missiles stitched the approaches, banging against the trails and blowing the climbing hobgoblins and their hostages apart. They swooped low in teams over the hordes of hobgoblins climbing the volcano. Their fire cut all the monsters down in one place. Then the choppers darted to their next targets like dragonflies, their white lights probing the darkness, their guns firing so fast they sounded like giant zippers being pulled open. But as they neared the edge of the maelstrom, the chopper's lights died and they lost their electrical power. The gas engines rattled bravely on, the pilots relying on old technology and sharp eyes. The peak finally came within range of their guns. A whole coven's worth of witches emerged from a hidden tunnel beside the bonfire with their hands outstretched. The body burning on the pyre flared, and the lurid flames raced across the top of the witches' hands. They shuffled into a wide circle and the flames burned brighter, connecting their upraised hands in a burning ring. Fireballs launched from within the halo of flame, blasting the choppers from the sky in oily explosions. 
The craft converged on their circle, chewing the ground up with their bullets. Several witches fell, but others stepped in, tightening their circle's diameter, and sent smaller fireballs skyward even faster than before. The peak teemed with activity, as if the chopper's arrival had stirred an ant's nest. Goblins spread out over the stone faces of the mountaintop like a stain, directed by the hobgoblins in their midst. They each carried stones, Mac realized, as a giant rock pile grew around the witches with astonishing speed. Row after row of stones were deposited with almost mechanical efficiency. Thousands of goblins climbing forward on top of each other to place the stone they had carried up from within the tunnel. Bullets caromed off the new structure. It was being built with such haste that rocks spilled and slid down the sides. The witches and their halo of fire disappeared from view, protected by the rising walls, but the fireballs still shot up into the night unerringly, each one detonating a chopper and bringing it down. The walls stopped rising, and the fireballs finally ceased. The remaining choppers swung lower to attack, but a deeper hum emerged from within the ground, as if the maelstrom had infected the earth itself, injected down through the slumbering caldera of the volcano to awaken it. The ground began to shake. Oh no, Max said softly to the pilots. Get out of there. A blinding shaft of brilliant purple lightning, as fat as a tornado, cracked from the top of the peak, knocking every chopper from the sky in streams of smoke. A half-second later, the thunder smote Robin and Mac, deafening them and rattling the trees. Pine needles fell on them like hail. Dazzled, gasping for wet air, Mac crouched in a hollow at the base of a tree. Robin sprawled over him. In the purple afterimage haze, he couldn't tell if his eyes were open or closed. The sudden silence convinced him he was falling down an endless well, dropping him down toward the center of the earth. He whimpered and clawed at the ground, trying to force his brain to believe in the dirt under his fingers more than the howling pit he saw. Robin pulled at him, urging him to get on his feet. The shaking ground kept knocking him back down, the earth jumping up and down with acute shocks. Branches fell from trees. A baleful violet light from the top of the peak shined as bright as the sun. Robin turned him away from it. Mac ground the heels of his hands into his eyes, fighting down panic. His brain twisted under the pressure into absurdity. Come on now, Mac. You can't watch the end of the world if you can't see. He laughed, a hysterical edge to it. Bunny leaned against him, and he clung to her warm fur with desperate gratitude. That's a girl, he croaked, but he couldn't hear himself speak. I can't hear anything. His ears rang, a painful high-pitched whine at the edge of hearing. Mac wondered if he had gone deaf. He turned to Robin and saw that she was indeed talking to him, gesturing across the slope and down to the valley below them. The afterimage of the fat lightning bolt still filled the center of his vision, blotting out the dark landscape, so he tilted his head to look out the corner of his eye at where she pointed. At the bottom of the valley, a column of headlights drove toward the mountain, a tremendous number of vehicles invaded the forest, their guns barking. Mac couldn't see the end of them. They just kept pouring into the valley. It must be the whole army. Jets flew overhead, and bombers emerged from the clouds above. Fireballs rained down from the peak, never missing, detonating tanks and transports one after another, setting the forest ablaze. Robin shouted something, her face an inch from his, her breath stale and eyes shining bright. Then she pulled him slantways away from the invading army down through the dark trees, purple light streaming through them in stripes. 
Max smelled smoke, and he belatedly realized what she had said. The forest is on fire. We're in the forest. He followed her as fast as he could down the broken scree, the ground dropping under his feet, then rising swiftly to knock him down. Robin darted down the sliding slope and clung to solid rocks and darted again. Bunny churned beside them to keep herself from being swept away. Mac fell against a teetering boulder. It was the only thing not moving that he could reach. He flung his arm over it and looked up the slope at a knot of hobgoblins descending in a sliding tumble toward them. Then the hobgoblins suddenly clutched their heads and dropped to their knees. Bunny stopped and howled in misery. Robin turned and looked back, shouting at them. Then Mac finally heard what the Greenbloods heard. They all did. In the silence of their deafness, they could finally hear it. Very faintly, within the ringing in his ears, he heard a rising wail. So very, very sad and far away. Mac looked at Robin. She frowned and shook her head and said something. She pointed at her ears and shook her head, but then pointed at the sky and grimaced. Mac nodded. Yes, they were both deaf and they had both heard it. The wail faded and the hobgoblins stumbled to their feet, shaking their heads. Bunny panted, feverish and antic. She barked at Mac as he watched the hobgoblins stumble down toward them. He could tell that they intended to circle through the trees back around to attack the column from the side. How they expected to get through the forest fire was unclear. Bunny kept barking, a pleading look in her eyes. She bounded away, then immediately circled back, suddenly animated by a desire Mac couldn't divine. She pulled at his wrist insistently, down, toward the valley, away from the hobgoblins. Mac allowed himself to be led across the fracturing mountain slope, Robin following him for once. The scree ended in a shelf of stone. What is it, girl? He felt his mouth say, knowing that his words fell literally on deaf ears. Bunny pulled him over the edge. They dropped onto the dirt below a shallow ledge that blocked the unbearable purple light. Finally, darkness. The forest fire and the war couldn't be seen through the scattered alpine fir trees. Even the ground shook less severely here. Bunny pulled him by the wrist, too fast. He stumbled down the slope, deeper into the canyon. The wail swayed through him again, reminding him of every bad day he'd ever had. Mac shivered. Smoke streamed through the trees and he realized his vision was starting to clear. He could make out shapes in the dimness. One shape in particular. His mouth formed a word, just one word, but he could not hear it. Lacey. Thanks for listening to Woe Is Me, book one of The Horror Wars. Make sure to tune in next week to see if our heroes can survive. Yet another thrilling adventure on The Unuseful Hour.